I want to speak to you tonight about a, a personal experience of mine. I'm going to give you a scriptural basis for it, but then I want to speak about something very personal that happened to me that changed the course of my life. Now, this is a post-salvation experience. I was already a believer in Christ. Uh, if, if I had died before this moment, this experience, I still heaven would have been my eternal home. I have no doubt about that. But I was desperate for something of God that would give me the ability to, to break out of the box of my former life and experience and the, the, the seemingly the parameters that were placed all around me, things that I believed about myself, things that others told me about myself, and, and, and just general containments, in a sense, to, to the plan that God had for my life, which I, which I felt was bigger, but I, I, I couldn't attain it. I didn't know how to get to where I felt God wanted me to go until the day that I had an encounter with him in a, in a very powerful and profound way. So it's Acts chapter 2. That's where we're going to begin tonight. And uh, this particular message is for so many people online that are just that are just having, they're struggling with this. You, you are where I was years ago. Uh, and you give you an example of this from Brazil. Pray for me. I want to obey God in all areas of my life. So here's a, a young person that's just saying, I, I know what to do, like the Apostle Paul said in the book of Romans, but I don't know how to do it. And the things I, I delight in doing in, the, in, in my heart, I find myself not able to do. I find myself doing the things I don't want to do. The dilemma, in a sense, of, of, of wanting to obey God, wanting to live for God, but wondering, where am I going to find the power to escape these, these borders that are all around me? From Ontario, Canada, pray for us here in Ontario, where restrictions continue to place a strain on all of us. Evangelism and church is hard, and we have special challenges with our children. From Troy in the U.S., remember me Tuesday night, unspoken prayer request. Troy, we're, we don't know what it is, but whatever it is, it's heavy on your heart. And so I want you to know tonight that we've not, the Lord hasn't forgotten you. That's why he put, brought your prayer request to my attention today, just to let you know that it might be unspoken, and we might not know what it is, but God knows what it is. And he will be faithful to you, Troy. I want you to have confidence and courage in him. And Bev from Indiana says, pray for our youth. It says in Joel that God will pour out his spirit on our sons and daughters. It's time for our children to come home to the Lord. I, I agree with you, Bev. It is time. It's time to believe the promises of God. It's, it's time for our sons and daughters to come back to him. Josh here in the United States says, I've been stuck in a cycle of failure for some time. I desperately want to be free and live in the fullness of God's plan for me. Please pray for me. We're going to pray for you, Josh. Father, we just pray for Josh right now. God Almighty, that you would break the cycle of failure tonight in his life, that he would be free and be brought into a place where he can live in the fullness of your plan for him. So according to his desire, Lord, grant it to his heart tonight. Um, Michael in Iowa says, Lord, move with your spirit in my life to do your will for your glory and to fulfill the promise that, that he had begun a good work will bring it to completion. And Michael, we're going to believe with you and many others like you tonight, that you are longing to live for God. And I, I'm reading, this is just a, a scant few of the many prayer requests that are coming in of, of people who are saying, I, I want to live for God. I, I want to live for God. I can see it. I can hear it. And it's, it's not fraudulent. These people are not just wasting their time texting and emailing in. They really do want to live for God. 
but they don't know how. They can't find the power to get out of where they are or to break the chains or, or maybe kick the sides out of the box that life and circumstances put around them. And so, Father, tonight, God, as we just look in your word and I share my own story, may it help people who are looking, God, to find you in power, to find the strength that they need to make a difference, not just to survive, but to actually make a difference in their generation. Lord, you promised that you would give us power and that we would become witnesses of you, of the fact that you were raised from the dead on this earth, God. So we've lived so far beneath our inheritance in our generation for various reasons, Lord. We've not, we've not laid hold of our inheritance. And so, God, we ask in Jesus' name that you would have mercy upon us. Have mercy on me tonight, God, as I share this truth with so many that are hungering for this moment. Have mercy on your church, oh God. We, we are a whisper in the dust in a generation that's, that's going headlong into darkness. Lord, the only one who can raise this standard against this darkness is you. And you have chosen your people, your house, your church, as the vessel that you use. So we recognize that. Give us the grace, Lord, to allow you to be God inside of each one of our lives and to do what you've called us to do. And we ask it in Jesus' name. I've entitled this sharing in God's word, Come, Holy Spirit, We Need You. It's an old, the title of an old hymn, a song. Well, not an old one, but it was written uh, not too long back. And it was, it was, it's a song that we sung in church when I was a young believer in Christ, I remember, and sung it for many years. Just, come, Holy Spirit, we need you. We need your wisdom. We need your power. We, we can't do this without you. Acts chapter 2. When the day of Pentecost, verse 1, had fully come, they were all with one accord and in one place. And is that not us today? We're all in this, this one accord as they were in that room, that there was a calling on their lives as the people of God of their generation. They were called to be witnesses of the resurrection of Christ, but they all knew they couldn't do it without the power of God, just as you and I do. If we're, if we're honest, if we're going to be reasonable, we can't do this without God's power. We are promised a river of living water in Christ. We're promised this, this ability, abilities that are beyond us. We're promised giftings that can only come from God, words of wisdom, words of faith, words of knowledge, things that God alone can do through each of our lives. We're, we're promised these things and for the sole purpose of bringing glory to the name of Jesus and reaching lost men and women and children in our generation. So here we are one more time. The church began in this room, and I feel in my heart that we're ending up in this room in our generation. We're, we're back in the upper room as it is one more time, recognizing that we need him. We can't do this without, he didn't send them straight from the cross. He could have. Go into all the world, preach the gospel to every creature. We heard that from our brother Serge tonight, but he didn't. He, sent, he said, go and wait and tarry in this place until I come to you, until I give you my presence and my power. Not just a, a concept of God, but the actual third person of the Godhead the Holy Spirit of the living God. He says, I'm going to come, take up my residence inside of you. I'm going to lift you out of your weakness and into the strength of God. And I'm going to send you, I'm going to go. We're going to walk together. May I put it this way? And I'm going to do through you what only I can do. You can't do this, but I will do it through you. I will give you abilities you don't naturally have. I'll give you giftings that are not your own. I'll take you places that you can't go. And I'll make you into what you could never be. If you will yield to me, if you will yield for my purposes for your life, I will do through you what only I can do. 
And when they were in this one accord and in this one place, the one accord is that we want to live for God. We're all in one place. We can't live for God without God. It's, it's really that simple. Remember, remember the besetting sin that Satan sowed into humanity in the Garden of Eden is that you can be as God is without God. Remember that, right? So fast forward from the Garden of Eden. Mankind, humankind gave it its, its best try under the law and through the Old Testament to be godly without God. And it just ended up in this hypocritical religious system that actually hated God and crucified his son when he came. So now here we are again. And the people finally not came to their senses and said, we can't be godly without God. So here we are in one accord and in one place. This, this, this prayer request, I, I suggest to you, sir, tonight that are listening online that you can't break this habit of pornography without the Spirit of God in your life. Try as you will. This, this Spirit has gotten a hold of you, and it's, it's, it's made its imprint on your, on your imaginations. And there's no way you can get out of this but by the Spirit of God. And suddenly there came a sound from heaven as of a rushing mighty wind, and it filled the whole house where they were sitting. And there appeared to them divided tongues as of fire and sat upon each of them. They were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak with other tongues. Now the other tongues were known languages in their day. There was nobody there just babbling into the wind. They were actually speaking languages that other people of other cultures knew. It, it would be like... You and I being filled with the Holy Spirit tonight, and you speak Arabic, and you speak Italian, you start speaking French. That's, it, that's te technically what happened. They were speaking known languages, and in these languages, which they had never learned, they were speaking of the marvelous, in the Greek it says the megalios of God, the marvelous works of God, these, these wonderful and anticipated outworkings of the inward presence of Christ now in each of their lives. And there were dwelling in Jerusalem Jews, devout men from every nation under heaven. And when this sound occurred, the multitude came together and were confused because everyone heard them speak in his own language. And they were all amazed and marveled, saying one to another, Look, are not all these who speak Galileans? How, how is it that we hear each in our own language in which we were born? How, how are they doing this? Where did this power to speak to us about the wonderful works of God come from. Then it goes on to list all of the languages. Verse 11 says, Cretans and Arabs, we hear them speaking in our own tongues the wonderful works of God. So they were all amazed and perplexed, saying one to another, whatever could this mean? Others, mocking, said, they are full of new wine. So there will always be mockers. When God is doing something that only God can do, there will always be unregenerate people who mock it. So don't, don't expect that suddenly you're going to be, you know, empowered by the Spirit of God and everybody's going to love you and say how wonderful you now are. Some people are going to mock you and they're going to, they said, well, basically, they're, they're all drunk. I mean, this, that, that explains what they're doing. But Peter, standing up with the eleven, raised his voice and said to the men of Judea and all who dwell in Jerusalem, let this be known to you and heed my words. For these are not drunk, as you suppose, since it's only the third hour of the day. But this is what was spoken by the prophet Joel. And I love the original King James where he says, this is that which was spoken by the... We, I, would you agree with me? We need another this is that moment in history where we can say this is that. You know, he's actually pointing at people. That would be phenomenal for you and I to be able to stand, you know, before our, our work colleagues or wherever it is that we have to go and say, this is that. You're looking at that which God promised. This is that. 
That's, that's what he was saying. This is God doing what God said he was going to do in the last days. It shall come to pass in the last days. Now, the last days began on the day of Pentecost, and as you read through this, it's going to culminate, in a sense, with the return of Christ. So we, we have been in the last days since the day of Pentecost, and we are in the last days, and quite possibly in the last of the last of the last days in our generation. We're certainly closer to the last day than they were 2,000 years ago. It shall come to pass in the last days, says God, that I will pour out my Spirit on all flesh, your sons and daughters shall prophesy. Your young men shall see visions, and your old men shall dream dreams. And on my men servants and my maid servants, I will pour out my spirit in those days, and they shall prophesy. I will show wonders in heaven above, signs in the earth beneath, blood and fire and vapor of smoke. The sun shall be turned into darkness and the moon into blood before the, great, the coming of the great and awesome day of the Lord, which is the return of Jesus Christ. And it shall come to pass that whoever calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. Now, the question on my heart tonight is knowing this, knowing this is God's pattern, knowing this is the way that God works, what hinders us from calling out again for what we obviously need in our time? What hinders us? Why would we draw back from this? For what conceivable reason? Would we talk ourselves out of the power of God that is promised to each of our lives in the last days? The last days which we are now living in, which we have been living in since the day that Peter stood up and spoke these words and then led it into the day when the sun will be dark and the moon will turn into blood. There'll be blood and fire and vapor of smoke. The awesome day of the coming of the Lord will, will uh, just uh, follow these things and and he says, whoever calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. So for what reasons would we not call out for what we need? I want to talk about three things and then share a bit of my story. Number one is the fear that God will not answer us. You know, some people's faith is, is hanging by such a thread. I, I actually remember somebody saying that one time. If I ask God for this and he doesn't give it to me, how can I trust him then for anything else? And it's like I found this little thimble of faith and I'm hanging on to it and I don't want to ask for anything bigger because if he doesn't do it in my life, then, then how can I know he's real? I'm, I'm going to lose my confidence in him. And so I, I would rather live here with this little piece of faith that I have than trust him for something bigger, lest he should not answer me. And, and the core, the root cause of that is fear. Jesus said in Luke chapter 11, verses 9 to 13, so I say to you, ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find Knock, and it shall be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives, and he who seeks finds. And to him who knocks, it will be opened. If a son asks for bread from any father among you, will he give him a stone? Or if he asks for a fish, will he give him a serpent instead of a fish? Or if he asks for an egg, will he offer him a scorpion? And then he says these words, If you then, being evil, that is in contrast to God, really. I mean, our, you know, realistically, we're so other than God is. And so he just describes us as we are. He said, if you then being evil know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your heavenly father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? If we ask him for the right reason, if we seek him for the right reason, if we knock on heaven's door for the right reason, if we're looking for the power of God so that we can bring glory to the name of God in the earth, 
if we're seeking him, as we teach here in our Bible school, for the sake of others around us, that they too, because of Christ in us, can begin to know that there really is a God. He really does change people's lives. He really does do the things. when He, he stood in the temple in the, in the days when he was reading the Scripture and said, the Spirit of the Lord is upon me. And then he gave all the reasons to preach to the poor, to set free the oppressed, to open the prison doors, to give sight to the blind. To, to preach the acceptable year of the Lord, to tell people this is the time, this is the season where you can be changed, you can be transformed, you can be free. If, if we are seeking the same Spirit of God for the same ministry, for the same reason, how much more, he says, will your heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? I want to challenge you tonight not to be afraid to ask. Don't be afraid. If you ask for the right reason, the Apostle James says, if you ask not just to consume it upon yourself, but for the reason that God wants to give it, you will receive what God promises to give you. And, and of course, Jesus himself said these words. If you know how to give gifts to your children, how much more will your heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? The second reason why we're hesitant to call out is in Hebrews chapter 11, speaking of Moses. And number one is it's indecision about leaving where we are for what God has for us. You know, a lot of people want to say they, they want to go to a service somewhere. They want to be touched by the presence of God. They want to experience the presence of God's Holy Spirit, but they don't want to move from where they are. They, they don't want to, it, it's, in other words, I want the blessing here. I want it now. I want it my way. I want it for my thing. I want it to make me happy. I want it to... It's, it's really a, a lot of just self-consumption. But when God's Holy Spirit comes upon you, suddenly, here's what happened to Moses. It says, by faith, in chapter 11 of Hebrews, verse 24, by faith Moses, when he became of age, refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter. So there's an immediate change of family, may I put it that way, immediate leaving of an old, old associations. There's an immediate sense of I'm going with God no matter what that costs me, whether my family go or whether they stay, whether they love me or they don't, whether they think it's a, a great path or they think I'm a lunatic, I'm going with God. I, I know what that feels like for uh, quite a few years. I was uh, in a very difficult relationship with my own family because of Christ and coming to Christ. Verse 25, it says, choosing rather to suffer affliction with the people of God than to enjoy the, pleasures of pass the passing pleasures of sin. Not just a new family, but a new path. If anyone is in Christ, it becomes what? A new creation. That's a new family and a new pathway. A lot of people don't want to consider the new pathway that God has. They want their pathway. They have their plan. They have, they have their 10-year plan all laid out. And they say, no, I just need God to help me fulfill this. But that's not the way it works in the kingdom of God. When, when he comes, he leads. He doesn't come to, to bless our path. He comes to lead us unto his path, his will wherever he would have us to go, what he would have us to do. Verse 26 says, Esteeming the reproach of Christ greater riches than the treasures in Egypt, for he looked to the reward. By faith he forsook Egypt, not fearing the wrath of the king, for he endured as seeing him who is invisible. So he, he, he was adopted into a new family. He was led into a new path. He was given a new identification, no longer the the son of uh, Pharaoh's daughter, and, and all the, that came with it. But now he was really just a shepherd that was uh, called of God to lead uh, people out of uh, captivity and into freedom. 
and he was given a new place to dwell. Certainly a lot less pleasant than the palace, wouldn't you agree? A lot less, no accolades, no army, no political influence, no nothing. As a matter of fact, the pathway of God took him into a wilderness for 40 years. And after the wilderness experience, the pathway of God took him into a very hard ministry. It was never easy for Moses. It was a hard ministry. It was a heartbreaking ministry, actually, at times, when he had to endure the failings of the people all around him who failed to understand who God is and how God works. But the last reason we, we're loath, in a sense, to ask for what we need is pride. It's really that simple. We want to be well thought of. We want to be well spoken of. None of us want to be, have people say that you're all drunk or you're a fool or you're stupid. Don't you find it ironic that we care more about what people are going to hell for eternity think of us than what God says about us? We're suddenly very, very concerned about being rejected in the marketplace and by our coworkers and by people who are outside the kingdom of God. And so we try to kind of modify our, we modify our behavior, we modify what we say, we modify how we do it, just trying to, because we just have this general need to fit in in a fallen society. And, but if Christ is calling, if Christ is giving us his Holy Spirit, we're not going to fit in that society. They, they, if the reproaches of Christ will fall upon us, as they would treat Christ, they will also treat you. They will also treat me. It's, but there's, there's this inherent pride in all of us. And, and it says of Moses, he esteemed the reproach of Christ greater riches than the treasures in all of Egypt. And there's, there's a point where we have to die to pride. There's a point where God says, I'll give you what you ask for, but the door is low. You go through on your knees. You don't go through standing erect going through that door. You'll just hit your forehead on the door jam. You can't get, you, it's only in a place of humility you're going to find this. I was saved at the age of 24. And uh, I thank God for this day for the church that sent somebody to my house. It was really a miracle. I was just visiting a church one morning on the way. I was flying to Europe and I visited a church with my wife and I ended up filling out a card. I'd never been in a Christian church my whole life. I found it interesting. Didn't understand a simple, th a single thing that was said, but I found it interesting. I remember thinking, whatever, I heard the preacher, first time I'd ever heard a preacher in a suit, and I remember thinking, what, I don't understand the man, but whatever he believes, he really believes it. And he's, he's got a lot of zeal about it, and I, I thought, well, I'd be curious to know what it is that he believes. We, my wife and I went off to Europe for six weeks. We were on a, a delayed honeymoon, as it was. And um, when I came back, I got a call from this particular uh, associate pastor who said, you, I see you filled out a card and we'd, we'd like somebody to come visit your house. And they sent uh, somebody to my house. They didn't ask who I was. They didn't know who, how old I was. They didn't know what I did. And I, I expected a couple of little old, nothing against little old ladies. Please don't misunderstand me. But I expected a couple of little old ladies with a hat with a flower hanging off it to show up at my door on Wednesday night and talk to me about Jesus. And I was just going to be nice to them. Uh, but I was living in a blood and guts world. I was a cop, and uh, I've seen a lot of things. They're not very pleasant, and I, I knew what sin could do. And that was the world I lived in. And how surprised I was when a six-foot-two mounted policeman showed up at my door on Wednesday night, not knowing I was a, I was a cop. And uh, God knew. And he sent the person to my house that I needed to, I needed to speak to. And, and over a course of weeks, Eventually, one day, I pulled over on the side of the road, May 12, 1978, at 3.20 in the afternoon, and I had just run, I had, 
I'd been provoked by this man to read the Gospel of John after weeks and weeks of arguing with him. I read it for myself, and I prayed a simple prayer. I said, oh, God, if this thing is true, just show it to me. And in reading the Gospel of John, I saw something. I saw that not only had Jesus Christ died for my sins, but I saw that he had the right to the rest of my life. Nobody taught me that. I just saw it. I read it. I said, if I, if I come to you, I'm giving you my future. I'm putting the reins of my life into your hands. It's very clear. It's, it's right there. You don't, you don't need anybody to teach it to you. I wasn't even saved, and the Holy Spirit showed it to me. And I saw it, and so I, I knew the decision I'd be making was a life-changing decision. And so I gave my life to Christ that day. And for the next two years, um, I was in a church. This, this church, I, I love this church. Please don't misunderstand anything I'm about to say. But they, they taught that the, 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 the time of the Holy Spirit was over, that that was a, almost like a kickstart for the church. But once the Word of God came, we no longer needed the Holy Spirit. I remember thinking that's about as smart as saying when the sun comes out, we don't need oxygen anymore. The Word and the Spirit work together in the book of Genesis. And God said, and the Spirit moved. And God said, and the Spirit moved. And you'll see it all the way through the Scriptures. So why would, why would God now take the source of our strength away? Why would He say that He's going to redeem us, and that now we have to, what, we have to reason our way through? To people, it's going to be just an intellectual exercise to get people to believe in God, and He would take away His power? Why would He do this for the the first century church, and then just suddenly withdraw his hand and say, okay, you're on your own. All the best to you. Study and now and just uh, try to reason people into the kingdom of God, which is a good thing in itself. It's not a bad thing, obviously, but maybe, just maybe it falls short of what the kingdom of God is supposed to be. I started reading the Word of God, and the Bible said that Jesus said, if, if any man believes in me, out of his inward parts will flow rivers of living water. And I remember thinking, well, my life is like a leaky tap. There's no river of living water coming out of me. I'm having a hard time to share Christ with people. And when I do have an opportunity, I can't find the words to speak. I can't even put them together. And I, I remember thinking, God, there's got to be more than this. And I got involved in a program of evangelism in my church. And, and uh, I, I, you know, and everything was memorized. All the answers were memorized. I was thinking, this I remember reading the Bible and thinking, this doesn't look like this for whatever reason. I, they didn't, it doesn't say they came out of the upper room and they memorized an evangelism strategy. And, and you know, all the answers were, were, were predetermined in a sense. This is what you have to say, and this is what you have to say to this, and this is how you answer that. And it was, it was good stuff. Uh, no, no problem with it. It was all truth. But I, I just, you know, I, I would weep in church. I would, I would go to church and I would sing the hymns. I wasn't raised in church, so I, they were all brand new to me. And I, I would sing, Blessed Assurance, Jesus Mine. The tears would flow down my face. And I, I would just feel so free during worship. But then I was so bound when it came to living for God the rest of the week. And, and eventually, after two years of this, I just got so sick of it. I, I was driving my patrol car down a street called Carling Avenue in Ottawa, Ontario, Canada. And I actually punched the steering wheel. I, and I, I said these words, I said, Jesus, I'm going to live for you if it kills me. I'm just so sick of the cowardice in my life. I'm just so sick of, of drawing back and, and, and not having the power to, to speak your name. I'm, I'm just tired of this. God, this is not what it's supposed to be. And it's been two years of this, and I'm tired of this. And so I made this proclamation in my car. And a couple of days later, another, another cop, his name was Bob, 
he came to me at work and he said, Carter, I got permission from the chief to go to the, uh, the regional jail on, um, I forget what night it was, it was a weeknight, in uniform on top of that, and, uh, and uh, to share Christ with the prisoners. And I, I said, Bob, I said, there was a riot there last month. There had been a riot. I said, if, if they riot again and we're in there in uniform, I said, you know, we're as good as dead. He said, yeah, I know that. Are you coming or not? And I remember thinking, oh, God, you didn't have to take me up on this so soon, on my, my vow when I hit the wheel. I'm going to serve you if it kills me. And so we headed out that night. We're going to the regional uh, detention center, it's called. And um, on the way there, he said to me, Carter, he said, I got a, I got a buddy. He said, he's an ex, uh, it's outlaws, motorcycle gang. They call them Hell's Angels here in the United States. They're all affiliated with one another. And he says, uh, it's his one-year spiritual birthday, and I just want to drop by and say happy birthday to him. I said, Bob, that is not possible. These guys, he can't be saved. There's no way this guy can be saved. I said, you know the initiation rights to get into these gangs, and you know what they have to do. I said, you can't tell me that, that. I don't believe it. And he said to me, well, come see. Come see for yourself. So on the way to the jail, we stopped at this halfway house, and this halfway house was heavy duty. These guys... In this halfway house were heavy-duty guys. They had done big-time crime, and they'd gotten out of jail, and they're, they're being re-instituted uh, into society, re, you know, drawn back gradually, because a lot of them had done a lot of time. But they all had found Christ in prison. This is the amazing thing about it. So there's about, I don't know, 18 or 20 guys in this, uh, and they're real heavy-duty guys, you know, and I knew even of some of them. And I remember walking in there in uniform, and and the, the director of the house says, hey, we're about to have a testimony uh, service and a worship time. Do you want to join us? And Bob says, hey, do you want to stay here instead of going to the jail? I said, sure, Bob, I'll stay. Be, just because it was safer to stay there than it was to go to the jail. And so they started to worship, and it was just amazing, the, the worship in that place. The presence of God came down. Guys had tears coming down their faces, and they were just... They were just so grateful for what Jesus had done for them. And when they began to testify, it was just amazing. I mean, the stories of where they had come from and what Christ had done for them. And then finally, the director turns to me and he said, would you like to share your testimony? And I just, I just got up and said, I, I, I'm so grateful to be here tonight. I said, I, I really don't have anything to say. And I sat back down. And... So when the meeting was over, these guys all gathered around me because it was kind of a curious thing to have a cop in uniform with a, with a gun on him in this place. And uh, they said to me, have you been filled with the Holy Spirit since you were saved? And I, and I forced through my doctrine back at, that I had learned in the church. I threw my, my experience back. And they said, but, but God not just will bring you to salvation through Christ, but he will give you uh, a, a secondary power, as it is, of the Holy Spirit, so you can live as a, as a witness for him. And suddenly I found myself like, actually arguing against them. But in the back of my mind, I got this little voice saying, what are you talking about? You have no victory. You know you can't witness to anybody. You remember punching the steering wheel. You know you're, why on this, you're on this journey. And uh, so finally, one of the guys said, would you like us to pray for you? And... Uh, 
I was so, I, I remember thinking, and it was, it was arrogant on my part. I was thinking, well, these guys need this. I mean, they need this. I mean, they're all coming out of jail. They're going back into society. I'm a cop. I'm an upstanding, fine citizen. I don't, I've got the word of God. I don't need this. And then this other voice is saying, who are you kidding? You know, they, you know they're farther down the road than you are. They got more, vic- they got, they got more victory in, 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 uh, in, in their lives than you have in yours. And I was in this battle, this raging battle inside because for the very reasons, in a sense, one thing is the fear of what am I getting myself into here or the, the indecision about where is this going to lead. Does, does this mean that I have to now be associated with these people? If they, <laughs> I mean, think it through. Because I was concerned about what my, what's the chief going to say. You know, I'm, I'm hanging out with all these guys that, you know, I'm talking about big-time crime, and I'm starting to, they're starting to become my friends, and I'm hanging out at this place, and what if he finds out these guys laid hands on me and prayed for me, and, uh, you know, and, and then the pride of the whole thing, you know, well, these guys are all ex-cons, and I'm, you know, the whole thing, you know, just, but I experienced everything I told you, the fear, indecision, and pride, so finally, I, I said, okay, pray for me. So this guy went and stood behind me. I said, don't, don't stand behind me. I, just, I felt uncomfortable with him standing behind me. I didn't know what he was doing back there. He said, I think I should. I said, no, I think you shouldn't. So they said, would you raise your hands? I'd never done that before. It was so ironic. These guys are supposed to be raising their hands in front of me, and I'm, they're asking me to raise my hands. There's 20 ex-cons going to raise, and I'm the guy with my hands raised. The whole thing was upside down. It just didn't make sense to me, so I raised my hands. So I'm going to endure their prayer. So suddenly they start praying for me, and the next thing you know, I'm flat out on a hardwood floor. I never got hurt, never felt a thing. I just went down on the floor, and I am speaking in a language that I have never learned. And the only thing in my mind, other than speaking in tongues, is that what if the chief finds out about this? That's what I was actually thinking when I played on the floor. Oh, God, what have I done now? And I remember leaving that place, but I knew God had touched me. And, and all the way home that night, I was thinking, oh, this, this, this didn't happen to me. And so I would say, okay, I'm not going to speak in tongues anymore. Then I'd open my mouth, and I would be speaking in a language I'd never learned. And I'd say, okay, I'm making that up. That can't be God. So then I would shut my mouth, and then I would open my mouth, and another language would come out, completely different than the former one. And I'm thinking, and I would, I would just have goosebumps all over my whole body. I'd say, good, oh, God. Oh, God, you've touched me. So I got home to the farmhouse. My, my little Baptist wife is sitting in the kitchen at this time, and, and uh, I come through the door into the farmhouse, and I said, Hey, Teresa, listen to this. <laughs> it's 1130 at night. She's been waiting for me to come home. I start speaking in tongues. Then I run out the door, and I run through the field. We had a farm, we had a 30-acre farm. I'm running through the field, and I'm shouting into the heavens, and I'm singing Amazing Grace, and she's sitting in the kitchen saying, my husband has lost his mind. My husband snapped. The job finally got them. Something is wrong with him. But she told me after, she said, I I really thought you had lost your mind, but you were so completely changed from that day onward. You were a different man than the man I had known. You were transformed. I couldn't stop speaking about Jesus Christ everywhere I went. It was no longer a program. It was a river. It was, it was his life flowing through my life. And, he's, and doors started opening. Remember, you seek, you shall, you ask, you shall receive. You seek, you shall find. You knock, you shall be open. And my, my prayer was, God, 
make me into what I could never be, take me where I could never go, and give me what I could never possess. And I started sharing in churches. I started speaking in different places. I started traveling. It just, and, and from there, I've been over probably most of the known world today. I've been up in the Arctic preaching to Eskimos. I've been on Indian reservations in Canada. I've been in India, some of the worst areas in India. I can just, Africa, all over Africa, I could just start, and I've seen God do miracles. And it all began on that road on the, in that car that saying, God, I'm going to do it your way. And then he had to, he had to take me through the pride See, that's the issue. I really believe it's pride in the human heart. It says, I don't want to look like a fool. I don't want to be associated with, with people that, uh, you know, are, are maybe considered uh, on the lower scale of society. You know, we, we, don't want to, we don't want to be known as a friend of the poor. We don't want, to, don't want to hang out with people that can't further our agenda. We, we don't want to be called uh, foolish by people who are lost in this world. And so we, we back off and we just say, God, I, I, just give me your spirit, but let, let it be in pri- a very private thing. When the giving of God's Holy Spirit is a very public thing, it launches us into a ministry, which is God's ministry. It's God's intended purpose for our lives. That's why we're asking you at the end of every prayer meeting at home, when we're, when we're off air now and the, the, the internet uh, is, uh, season of praying together is over, to stay and pray for the Holy Spirit. Pray, God, fill me with your Holy Spirit. Give me your Holy Spirit for your reasons. Take me into the place, Lord, that you want me to go for the purpose that you have for my life. And we're living in a generation now where I think we've got to die to the fear, the indecision, and the pride and say, God, I need your Holy Spirit. And I don't care if it lays me out on the floor. I don't care if all my friends around me are people I'd never ever hang out with. Remember, they were given in the upper room the ability to speak to people of other, other cultures, other, other, other viewpoints, other languages, other places. This is, I can honestly say, God took me out of the box and I've been all over the world and I've, I've actually lived to speak, to see these things. I've preached in Hindu-Muslim prisons. I've been in places where only God could take you, given words that only God could give me. And I, I'm not, the Bible says he's not a respecter of persons. It's, it's not a selective gift he gives just to a few. This is, remember, the, Peter said, this is that, your sons and daughters, your young men, the old, the young, everyone, everyone who calls out on the name of the Lord will find, this, will find Christ and know the power of God. And the cry of my heart in this generation is, come Holy Spirit, we need you. We've tried to do church without you. For years and years and years and years, We've, we've done all these works in your name, and, and, and many of them are good, and I thank God for a lot of them. But ultimately, our church, our, our nation is dying around us now, and we need you, Lord. We're not going to be able to make a difference without you. It, it's, what we've done in the past is not going to work in the future. We need an empowerment of God's Holy Spirit and the willingness to be ridiculed by a lost world one more time. So be it. So be it, esteeming the reproach of Christ a greater treasure than all the treasures of Egypt. That's where we have to go. The very place that Moses went, you and I have to go again and say, God, I don't care what people say about me. Let them laugh. Let them call me a holy roller. Let them call me a a drunk at three in the afternoon. I don't really care anymore. I want your Holy Spirit, and I want your Spirit for the purpose of reaching men, women, and children for the cause 
of salvation in Jesus Christ. That's what it's all about. That's what I want my life to be. That's where I want to go. And I want to be able to say to the people that I speak to that God is no respecter of persons, and what he did for me, he will do for you. That's my message to you online tonight. What he did for me, he will do for you. All you have to do is get up and ask and seek and knock, and you let him do the rest in your life.